Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge explosion of fire for John Forrest. The car exploded going through the lights and this is as bad a fire as we... On this episode, it's Tony Pedregon and Kevin McKenna going over Indy, talking about Maple Grove, and we talk to Pro Mod Racer Tyler Miller. It's going to be Tim Wilkerson. Wilkerson goes 391-2. All the classes of the NHRA countdown are discussed, who's in the lead, and who needs to get it done. Perfect reaction time for Dallas Glenn. Triple zeros across the top of the time slip, and at the finish line, stripe, it's Dallas Glenn. You're going to love this Pro Mod chat. It's Bruce Pedregon, 395.8, 324 miles an hour. A margin of victory of 26 ten thousandths of a second. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here, back again with the NHRA Insider Podcast. Had a little bit of a break last week after the U.S. Nationals. Uh, got home a little bit later in the week and uh, just kind of fell off the schedule, but we are back on it. A great show here is a, a dual element style show as we have Tony Pedregon and Mr. Kevin McKenna from National Dragster hitting leadoff for us today, discussing Indy, talking certainly about what the countdown is going to bring to us, and Tyler Miller, who won the NHRA Pro Mod title in Virginia this year, racing with Ricky Smith, is going to talk about his incredible history in drag racing. Going to talk about what he has going on as we come up to the Betway Nationals in Charlotte at Z-Max Dragway in a couple of weeks. And kind of... um and kind of living a drag racing life, as well as being a hardworking guy who is looking to uh, really kind of help grow his company through the world of drag racing. It's going to be a fantastic chat with Tyler. I know you're going to enjoy that. We look back over the U.S. Nationals having had, you know, a week and change to kind of process what we saw there. And it really was an exceptional event, top to bottom. We had great crowds despite some threatening weather. You know, the, the weather was really threatening on Sunday and, and certainly Monday was very cloudy and, and maybe kept some folks at home. Had a great television audience. Had Tony Stewart in the booth with us. Uh, Tony will be joining us again this weekend at the NHRA Pep Boys Nationals at Maple Grove Raceway in Reading, Pennsylvania. So that's going to be fun to have him back in the booth with both Pedragon and I on Sunday. And, you know, as we get ready to talk about this countdown, we really do have to take a moment to pause and look at what the U.S. Nationals were this year. The Jags All-Stars, unbelievable. Lyle Barnett winning the Fuel Tech Pro Mod crown uh, presented by D-Wagon at the race. Pro Charger was the presenting sponsor of that event. And, you know, when we look at every winner, really from the sportsman categories, from stock eliminator all the way up through top fuel, um, we see people that that really had to earn it. Uh, there was nobody that fell into a victory that I can certainly tell at the U.S. Nationals. And having seen literally every class final, I can tell you that um, I can tell you that they were all well earned from Antron Brown and top fuel, uh, a guy who has now found himself six in the points out of relative obscurity earlier in the season. Two people uh, like Brittany Force making a final round, running the quickest lap of the uh, last three years in drag racing with that 364, uh, 299.73 in the eighth. We, of course, have the Phillips Connect 300-mile-an-hour uh, at the eighth-mile club that has been established. No one has entered it yet. Uh, there is an excellent chance somebody will enter it at Maple Grove Raceway. The weather this weekend looks extremely uh, favorable to going very fast. We have 15 cars in the Pro Stock Countdown. I mean, it's insane. Um, many of those cars after the first round on Sunday will be eliminated, and maybe some of those cars don't qualify as we got 12, uh, 20 Pro Stocks showing up, including Brandon Miller, who won the Jags All-Stars in Top Dragster and will be making his Pro Stock debut with a family operation. You'll recognize the car, perhaps. We'll tell that story on the broadcast this weekend. Um 
And then we look at Nitro Funny Car. We can talk about Ron Caps and Robert Hyde and Bob Tasca and Matt Hagen. Uh, it is an embarrassment of riches really across the board. Pro Stock Motorcycle. Matt Smith wins Indy. Leaves with the points lead. A guy who has now committed himself, as so he says, uh, to running the Buell Motorcycle for the rest of the year. All topics we're going to go into a little bit more detail with uh, with both Kevin McKenna and Tony Pedragon here in just a couple of minutes. Uh, it was a great race that had great energy, and if you were there, you felt that energy at the U.S. Nationals. It felt, as so many of us said so many times, it feels like 2019 again, and it really did. Obviously, 2020 was a unique situation where we basically ran the thing in front of a highly limited crowd. 2021, we saw some of that stuff starting to ease. We saw people starting to kind of come out a little bit more. And then this year, we had all of our Canadian fans and racers back down there with gobs and gobs of race cars, 940 of them um, at the final count when we actually began eliminations on Wednesday or began runs on Wednesday. Uh, by the time we got to Monday morning, there was over 4,000 pairs had gone down the racetrack at that point. I mean, the numbers are staggering. The days are long. Uh, the schedule was pretty much evaporated, uh, give or take, by, by 9.30 a.m. each morning for one reason or another. And it was everything the U.S. Nationals is supposed to be. It's supposed to be a bit chaotic. It's supposed to be a race that fatigues you. It's supposed to be a race that leaves you, no matter what your role is, really spent by the time you roll out of the gate, whether that's on Monday afternoon or whether it's on Thursday afternoon, if you happen to be racing in a class like Super Comp, that you might have parked your rig on Monday, you might have made some time runs Wednesday, and then by midday Thursday, you'd been eliminated. Uh, that is the course of action for some people at the U.S. Nationals. It is the the raw nature of the business in drag racing. So it really did have all the uh, hallmarks of everything you'd want to have. And now when we look ahead to this Pep Boys Nationals this week at a Maple Grove Raceway, uh, we're coming into a racetrack that is owned by the Koretsky family, has been revitalized in, in really every sense of the word. I think people may not understand what they're going to see, especially longtime fans that have made Maple Grove a staple of their drag racing season for spectating. Um, you're going to walk into a racetrack that you will recognize, of course. It still has that same great flavor. It still has that same great historical appeal, but you will see a racetrack that has had an incredible amount of investment in time, in blood, sweat, and tears, and of course in money made to continue to improve and grow what has already been an incredible legacy uh, that has been built in Maple Grove Raceway since it opened uh, more than 50 years ago. So all of those things are great. Um, this weekend is huge for us in the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series because this is our NFL adjacent weekend on the NHRA on Fox side of things. And I'm going to say this multiple times uh, over the course of the show, likely, but when you want to watch the race this Sunday, you're going to have to check your local listing because it will air either before or after the NFL game that is being showed in your region. It is different for uh, different people in different parts of the country. If you live in New England like I do, the airtime may be slightly different than if you live in the Midwest or you live out west, depending on kind of what time of the day that game will land on your particular television set. But it will be on the Fox Network, and it will be uh, another awesome event. It will be another awesome show. It's a hectic show because it is a two-hour broadcast window and yes, we have all four professional Camping World categories there. Initially, it was going to be a three-category race. It was going to be Pro Stock Motorcycle, Top Fuel, and Nitro Funny Car. When the Koreskis got hold of Maple Grove Raceway, uh, they have a slight interest in the Pro Stock category as Kyle is one of the premier competitors in the class, and uh, they quickly lobbied for and received the Pro Stock class as part of the slate of activities as well. 
all this means is that we are absolutely going to be crushing it uh, on all fronts. It's just going to be awesome. It's going to be great. And I feel as though uh, this race weekend will, as it always seems to do, set the tone for the weeks ahead as we work our way through Charlotte and St. Louis and Dallas, Vegas, ultimately into Pomona. There are so many people that talk about the regular season races don't matter. It only matters in the countdown, blah, blah, blah. It is a dumb take that I completely disagree with because it's like, do you try in qualifying? Well, if you don't try in qualifying and then all of a sudden you attempt to try on race day, you're, you're going to get the floor mopped with you. That's what's going to happen. So these teams that have gone through this long, arduous regular season, the ones that have put full effort forth and have done the best job to land in their particular spot in the countdown are absolutely better equipped for those that, um, and I don't think anybody in the sport actually carries this. I think it's a lot of people on the internet carry this idea that all of a sudden you're just going to turn on the jets and you're going to start trying now because now is when it counts. Um, It's counted the whole time. And you're going to see those who have made it count the whole time succeed in this countdown. And we'll find out if somebody like Brittany Forrest, who comes in as the points leader, uh, can hang on to that points lead over the course of the next six races. It's going to be a lot of theater. It's going to be a lot of greatness. It's going to be a lot of fun. Our Pro Mod series will pick back up in Charlotte. We're going to talk to uh, we're going to talk to Tyler Miller after we talk to Kevin McKenna and Mr. Tony Pedragon. I recorded this conversation a little bit earlier today, so we're going to go roll right into it as we not join in progress. We join right from the beginning with Kevin and Tony. Enjoy. All right, we are back here with our panel of experts, both of them. Kevin McKenna, Tony Pedragon joining me in the show this week as we uh, get ready for Maple Grove. But before we get Maple Grove started, I want to start with you, McKenna. Uh, as we look back at these U.S. Nationals, now we've had about a week to reflect on it. What did you learn kind of at, at Indy regarding the competition going forward or regarding uh, people that need to get their act together? Oh, boy, we, we learned a lot. Uh, Indy was quite an event. I, I don't. We, we could probably spend days dissecting it. Um, I, I think what you learned is that uh, what we saw in the summer might not be exactly what we see in the fall as far as, you know, I mean, Top Fuel in particular, you know, it, it was Brittany Force, Mike Salinas, uh, kind of Justin Ashley for most of the year. Well, now you look in the last few weeks, Antron Brown's two wins, including Indy, yeah. Tony Schumacher, uh, you know, uh, you see the Langdon and Coletta starting to come on. Uh, that tells me that uh, this race for the championship is not three or four cars; it's six to eight. And, and I think you could you could make that case uh, honestly in all the rest of the pro classes as well. Yeah, I mean, we saw guys like Matt Smith come on, not necessarily out of nowhere, but Smith is you know c- committed now to this the Buell motorcycle. He leads the points, which was not a place he was in really at any point this year. So, yeah, to your point, I think the I think the evolution of of where people ended up versus how they were running during that early part of the year is totally different. And, you know, Tony, I'll pose the same question for you as we came out of that race. Uh, who were the people that you felt like did the best, not necessarily may have won, but who certainly came out of Indy looking stronger than they did going in? Well, if you want to know what I learned, I learned that my dog can tell the weather as good as, <laughs> as good as anyone. <laughs> it's just, it's amazing that we had a forecast and the expectations were, you know, mid to upper 80s at times, and it wound up, you know, we dodged the weather. I think that was the important part. But, you know, I think because of that, we saw, we saw, I think, the the momentum swing to the, you know, to the good cars. Of course, if it yeah. was hot and got a little sticky, a little more humid than it was, I think we would have seen some other cars, you know, kind of work into the fray. But um, I think we saw a very good race from Brittany. I, you know, I don't think anybody can compete with her. Um, I think when it comes to, uh, 
the fact that she's you know number one seed going into the points uh, i think she's going to continue to rack up the the uh, incidental points for qualifying and i think because of that she's going to be the favorite and when you look at you know her reaction times and yeah and just her just her calmness um i i think that i think she's going to be the heavy favorite and i agree with kevin i think when you look at the points there's uh there's legitimately six cars and i think i think antron is really the one with the momentum you know you can't count out uh steve torrance uh really the drivers that are going to be put through the test are going to be mike salinas justin ashley and josh hart you know antron's been there before steve's been there before britney's been there before uh, i think those top six are going to be the the contenders and if i'm wrong hey great uh, you know uh, welcome to the party, but uh, I know that a couple of cars. I know a couple of cars are going to be testing here at the at the track, and it's pretty cool. Cloud cover. I know they're going to test today and probably service later and load up and and head to uh, head to Reading. So I think I think top fuel is is pretty pretty stacked. Kevin, let's stay on the uh, let's stay on the Antron Brown topic here for a minute because uh, you know I'm I'm kind of on board with a lot of what Tony said, but I also look at Antron. I see him sitting in sixth. He, he came out of you know effectively obscurity, starting in Topeka. All of a sudden, he had a race car, and and now we're talking about him winning the U.S. Nationals. And you know, with the regrouping of the points, there is an excellent chance this guy could come out of Maple Grove like top three or better. Oh, absolutely! If you'd have told Antron two months ago that you, you were going to be, at some point, 60 points out of the lead, he would have signed up immediately. <laughs> right. um, and, 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 you know, that, that, that car, I, I don't know that it was ever as bad as uh, people made it. Um, yeah, they, they struggled for almost every event. Um, but uh, whatever the issue was, they found it and they fixed it. It, it wasn't um, necessarily a, a cumulative issue. Uh, you know, I, I know they, they had a, a parts issue that was addressed, and, you know, that's the car, more or less, that we expected to see. Um, and there's one more interesting thing that Antron didn't really mention it, but Ron Katz did. Uh, th- their first year as team owners, uh, it really stretched the budget quite a bit. Well, th- they both made a nice chunk of change at Indy, Caps in particular, uh, you know, because he won the, uh, the Pet Boys call-out. Uh, th- that money is going to help uh, as far as... Uh, you know, getting them through the playoffs, and if you need parts, if you need something, uh, there's budget there now to do it. And also, as team owners and drivers, th- that probably helps you mentally a little, where uh, you're not as distracted by uh, financial matters. You know, let's talk about another another guy in top fuel that is on the opposite end of the spectrum of Antron in terms of having any sort of momentum or wind in the sails. Tony, I'm going back to you here with Austin Proc. Um, is there any sort of freedom for this team now to just say, and for lack of a better term, to just say F it and, and kind of go for the throat every run? Not to say they haven't been, but these guys are, you know, technically in the countdown. They're they're in a 12th. Um, it would be a, a miracle of drag racing miracles to see them actually contend by the time this is over with. So does it give them any sort of freedom to just let it fly or what? Well, I think it does, but I don't think it's going to help. I think when you uh – when you go cowboy, uh, I think the end result is, you know, highlight reels. You know, I don't, I mean, Hey, I like Austin Proc. Don't get me wrong. I don't, I don't think his, his attitude is really, you know, feeding the team with, with a good culture. And, um, you know, and what does that, does that matter? Does that make a difference, um, on, in how the car performs? I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's unfortunate that they have two top fuel cars within that team 
And it seems yeah. like they were two completely different setups, which, well, when you hire David Grubnick, and those those are the terms, then, then that is what it is. But, you know, I think it's it's a long shot for everyone else. You know, when you look at the top 10, you look at the top six cars that are competing, you, you just t- you're talking about the best cars all year. There's no reason they're going to fall off. And I think the key to success for any of them are if you get beat in the first or second round, if, if you smoke the tires, uh, you know, you look at some of the cars, you know, like Tasca. I, I know I'm switching to funny car, but this applies to Top Fuel as well. You look at Tasca, you look at Robert, you look at some of these cars, even Top Fuel cars that accelerate hard early, and, and you consistently see them at the top of the list within the first 300 feet, within the first 660. They run pretty hard. And and the um, the downside of that is occasionally you're right on the edge. So these cars will have a tendency to, you know, to get the tires loose early in the run. So um, it, it just seems like whatever Grubnik is doing, he gets in trouble once in a while, but not that often. So, uh, you know, if you look at the pattern, you look at the quick reaction times, you know, I've seen that before, you yeah. know, a little bit of cloud cover, the starting line's real good. And, and uh, it could be a little misleading for some drivers because they can go to Reading, it could be really good but their reaction times fall off. And I think the drivers that understand the physics of the car and the setups and how how that works, um, you're, you're not always going to be in the 30 and 40 and 50 range. It right. might shift to 50s and 60s, but the key to success for the drivers are gonna be consistency to be able to handle the pressure. But I just, I see so many drivers that, that are solid going into this countdown. And, and I think this speaks a lot for the, you know, for the countdown itself. I know that Steve Torrance has been a little critical of it, but I'm pretty sure this countdown is one of his best friends now. And, you know, if you look, if you look at the old NFL, what was it? The AFL, I think when they made that transition and before it was the NBA, I think a lot of people that were, you know, that were older in that era, they had an opinion, but now I think, you know, I think we're far enough down the road that, hey, the countdown is not a good thing. It's a great thing, and it's creating all this excitement. And, and uh, I think that's the reason that we have not one or two, but, you know, six or seven or eight drivers in, in every pro class that are competing. Kevin, one last point I want to touch on before we move off of Top Fuel is, is Steve Torrance, is, as Tony just brought up, he comes in seated fourth, uh, which places him only, you know, basically, uh, what, 40 points, uh, basically 40 points off of the uh, off of the lead, so to speak. But one of the things I think that's interesting is uh, the, the social media stuff they've been doing is great. And they posted a thing the other day. It was kind of an animation of Steve. And it was kind of the old, like, we haven't gone anywhere, you know, type of thing, which was cool. But this is not something this team has had to tell us before, right? This is not a message that they would have had to have conveyed over the last four to five years. There's an old saying that you know, a confident man needs to tell no one that he is confident. And this strikes me a little bit in that regard. Like, I'm not sure it's an interesting thing for me to watch this team have to kind of remind us that they haven't gone anywhere. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. And, and, and we saw instances this year uh, where Steve flat out got, got frustrated at, at being asked the question, why aren't you winning? When are you yeah, going to win again? Rightfully. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I mean, he lost his cool a couple times. Uh, I suppose I don't blame him. You know, no, if, if I, I were his shoes. If I were in his shoes, I wouldn't want to be repeatedly asked that question. Um, and I think, you know, him obviously being in tune with what's going on in that camp, um, they knew they were making a change to their programs. They knew it was going to be a work in progress. And their hope 
and something they maintained all year was as long as we are good to go for the last six races, we'll be fine. And right now it's hard to argue that, that they are not right on schedule and that strategy isn't working. Uh, you know, the, the, the fact that he, he won Brainerd and was very competitive at Indy, uh, there's no reason to think, given the experience on that team, uh, that they won't roll right into the countdown and give Brittany and everyone else a run for their money. Uh, it, it would not surprise me in the least if he comes out and wins the fifth championship. No, and I don't think it would surprise anybody. It just it would be a different method uh, method to achieve the end goal. We move into the funny car category. Uh, you know, Tony, should I? If I'm Robert Hyde, should I be more afraid of Matt Hagen or Ron Caps at this point? Today, Ron Caps because uh, he qualified in the number one position and he won the race and he's driving pretty good. Uh, Ron Caps is he's among a group of drivers that can do everything, everything in the seat. He's just such a well-rounded driver. And, and when you look at the, you know, when you look at the pattern and their performance, you know, the, Robert, you know, those, and, and I know Tasca and, and even, and even Hagen, you know, they're looking for the big run. And I, that's, that's not the case. You know, it's, it's interesting because that really wasn't the Ron Tobler signature. You know, he just raced the car, but when it was time to go quick, he'd go quick. And it seems like that's still the, you know, the way that they race that car, which, you know, is pretty interesting because, you know, that's kind of you know, like he's the sleeper. He's the sleeper, if, if you could say that, because, you know, Robert seems to be the favorite driver. The biggest challenge is now Tasca and then Hagen. But, you know, Caps, the way he won, the fashion that he won yeah. in and the fact that, you know, he knocked down the, uh, you know, the call out and the race at the same time, that makes him pretty dangerous. It does, and and Kevin, you know the reverberations of that of basically running the table over the course of a weekend. Does it actually carry outside the gate? In your experience, you've been doing this long enough. You've seen trends. You've seen people have great weekends and then disappear the next. But was that because, of course, being at the U.S. Nationals as well? Was that a moment for Ron Caps to to really put everybody else on notice beyond the obvious of winning the races? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think nothing feels better than a wind slip and. When you when you have that kind of momentum to go into India and run the table, uh, you got to be on top of the world heading into Reading. You you must practically feel invincible. Uh, and I I don't think obviously I don't think he sees the twenty point deficit to, to height as an obstacle. I don't think uh, he certainly respects that car. I don't think Absolutely. he fears it. Yeah. Uh, and and you know, the same could probably be said for for the other really good cars in the class, the Hagens, the Tascas, the. Uh, yeah, no, I, I think Ron probably has every reason to think he's going to run right through the countdown and, you know, win, win two or three events and, and uh, defend his championship. If we get if we got somebody that's kind of a sleeper lingering back in the pack, am I picking John Forrest or am I picking J.R. Todd? Because I look at both of those cars sitting five and six in the points right now. Um, you know, Todd's car has showed us a little. Forrest's car has showed us more than Todd. But out of those two, which guy do you think could, uh, could kind of make a run here and, and kind of muddy the waters for everybody else? I think it's going to be J.R. Todd. Based, based off of that 385 and the little pattern over the last couple of races, they've been pretty strong. You know, I think that um, it seems uh, John's car can run, but it just doesn't seem to be as consistent. And you know, we all know that you know that John the if if he's if his car's table running a three eighty five, well, on Sunday that three eighty five <laughs> turns into three eighty eight. I mean, it's all relative. It's all yeah. relative. Hey, John does what it takes yeah. to win. I'm all for it. If I got in the seat, uh, I would do the same thing again. But 
I think I think Jr. Todd seems to me that 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 is going to be the fifth car that is going to do battle. Now John is he's good. He can win a race or two, but I think that I think when it comes down to it, you know, all these guys are going to be good. And and I've seen this in the past, and I've I've lived it. I think you're going to have to be spectacular for a race or two. You know, that means I think when you if you're if you're Tasca and Tasca has been driving pretty good, I think you're going to have to to win this championship for any of these drivers. I think you're going to have to be great. You're going to have to win on some hole shots. You're going to you're going to you're going to spin the tires against your opponent. You're going to have to come from behind. You're going to have to be great for a race or two, and then you're going to have to be consistent. I think whoever can can do that and be be like really really good for one or two races, and then if you might be good for one early round loss. But when you're talking five, maybe six competitors like we have, um, I, I think if you have two bad races, I think I think you can forget about it. Kevin, you, you know the, the, there are some landmines out there that you don't want to step on. Uh, all of a sudden, Blake Alexander has a 380 car. Uh, you look at Bobby Bodie; that kid seems to win rounds whenever he shows up. Uh, if I'm one of the top four or five cars that's in contention for the championship, that probably worries me more than racing the guys that are closest to me in points. Um, you know, Funny Car is very competitive uh, to, to the point where uh, you know anybody in the top ten, if they want to race, it wouldn't be a huge shock. Um, you know, I, I know a lot of them haven't this year, but uh, that's that would probably be my bigger concern. You know, I, I think the last thing mentally you want to have to deal with is fighting all year to be one of the top two or three seeds in the countdown, and this goes for any class, and then having a bad race in Reading and, and more or less knocking yourself back. Uh, to me, that would be devastating mentally, and I think that's what these guys need to avoid. Yeah, and we've seen it. I mean, we've seen that happen where the guys, you know, and women, they come apart like a cheap suit. If if you if you have a bad weekend in Reading, it just all of a sudden it can change the whole tenor and tone of things. Um, and and let's talk about a guy who had several kind of emotionally crushing weekends to start the year, but all of a sudden the U.S. Nationals becomes a signature moment in his life as Greg Anderson picks up his hundredth uh, victory in Indy. Um, you know, I'm going with you here first, Kevin. I mean, this is a guy who, to me, has timed it out properly. He has had his heart ripped out of his chest about 50 times to start this season off, and then all of a sudden we get to the playoffs, and it's like, there he is, and he's doing it at the right time. Yeah, and, and, and Greg is very much an open book. He, he will tell you that uh, he, he knows he struggles to compete with the kids in the class that, that are laying the tree over every time. You know, Greg is typically a, a, a 30 guy on the tree, and right now he has the horsepower to overcome that a bit. Um, and, you know, when he digs deep, he, he can find a little extra. But he, he's always, at this point in his career, going to have to deal with that. Um, is it enough to get him through to win another championship? Possibly, but he, he's probably going to need a little luck along the way just because there are so many good cars. There are so many, because, you know, even if you look down the points, um, you know, people like, you know, Troy Coughlin Jr. has come on. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, Mason McGahey, I don't know what's going on over there horsepower-wise, but obviously that kid can drive. The Quadras, uh, the two Quadra boys can, can drive. Um, you know, they, they seem to have the power now to be competitive. It's, uh, it, it is wide open there. And, uh, you know, it, I don't know that that favors Greg. I mean, he certainly has the car to get it done, but, uh, He's going to need a virtuoso performance, I think. 
He will. And, and Tony, when we talk about kind of the other three, we always it's always Erica and, and Greg we're talking about. But to me, the other three guys, and really let's call it four, uh, Kevin mentioned one of them, but Stanfield, Koretsky, Glenn, and Coughlin, to me, are the other four real legitimate threats to those to those two that we always seem to be talking about. Out of those four, who do you think is who do you think's the most realistic to uh, to be perhaps there in the end at Pomona? I think Dallas Glenn and and Troy Jr. Um, you know, there's a couple of wins that Troy won. He looked pretty impressive. Uh, you know, prisoner of the moment. I think they fell off. They fell off in Indy, and Dallas got better. He got stronger. Now, I did hear some rumblings that you know their motor wasn't what it had been in qualifying. So I think I think that Dallas Glenn had the engine that he had in qualifying. Uh, he wins the race. You know, if, if he doesn't red light, I think I think if you if you go back to the second round semifinals. I think he had to push a little harder, and and that's why he red lit. And it, you know, minus double double O two. I mean, that you're cutting it pretty close. But I think that played into him having to press a little bit against Greg. And you know, great for Greg. It, I think it couldn't have happened at a better place. But you know, he was he was two for four. You know, the reaction times in the second round in the final um, those will lose you some races in this class. So I think that Greg is looking at the same thing. I think he knows that. But it's interesting because he was able to find the range in the first round in the semifinals. And, uh, you know, the tricky part is being able to do that consistently because there are a good amount of drivers that can do that. Troy's one of them. Dallas is, you know, Kyle, I think, I think he, you know, he's gotten better. Um, but, you know, still seems to be maybe a click or two behind, um, Dallas, you know, when it comes to the on, uh, starting line performance and, you know, hey, that's that's where it's going to be at. I mean, these drivers are pretty solid. Uh, you know, they can feel the car. They shift on time. And, um, you know, I don't, I, you know, hey, I'd love to see Greg Greg in the running. I think the performance will be there. But, um, yeah, the human I, performance I, is going to be there, too. Yeah. He's, yeah, he's got a, He's got a little ways to go. But, you know, hey, he won the, he won the race. He was good enough to do that. But uh, I think, yeah. Uh, you know, do that over a span of six races. That's going to be tricky. The uh, it never ceases to amaze me that the mouth, the level of mouth breathing idiot uh, that that chooses to comment on the internet. I'm sure you guys saw it, these morons that are writing. Well, he threw the race. Yeah, he threw the race with a double O two red light. I mean, it is the dumbest <laughs> garbage ever. And anybody, if you're listening and you think that, stop listening to the show. Because it's just dumb. I mean, this guy is never going to throw a race in his life. And, Kevin, he's never going to throw a race by two thousands. Come on. No, and, and actually, I talked to him after the final. I ran into him Monday night. And uh, he knew exactly what he did, which was staged a smidge too deep. And uh, he said, typically, when you know you do that, you just press down on the clutch pedal as hard as you can. Okay. Um, and and he, he says, I just didn't do it enough um you know so, so it, it is amazing to me that these drivers have that much knowledge and that much talent to, to know you know two thousands you're, you're not talking about even no. an eighth of an inch an eighth of an inch probably it's so acute um, yeah yeah but but he knew and just you know uh, because when you try to back off on the light you're going to be 40 or 50 but he knew just just you know give the clutch pedal a little extra muscle and you might be able to get away with it um Obviously, he missed by two thousandths there, but again, if if it's two thousandths the other way, uh, he's a hero, and we're talking about him with all the momentum, and 
is he the favorite to win the championship? Right, this is an entirely different discussion if that final goes the other way. Oh, it is. And uh, let's just transition to Pro Stock Motorcycle because, once again, uh, little old Pro Stock Motorcycle provided the most wild, out-of-control weirdness uh, at the U.S. Nationals. <laughs> I mean, look, let's just let's just get right into it here. How does Angel recover from that? Because I don't even know what that was. It was a, a 220. Uh, I've not spoken to her since the uh, first round, but my goodness. Uh, Tony, let's, let's start with you. I mean, she's open about it. She talks about the fact that she struggles by getting in her own head, but, man, that was that was monumentally bad. Hey, Brad, I, I could tell you that most drivers that talk about it, they're in trouble. You know, when that is going to be the topic of your interview – you're in trouble. You're thinking too much. Um, and, well, I mean, I did pick that up in her interview, so uh, she may not find any correlation there. But, you know, it's just, you know, you talked about the Steve Torrance sending that, you know, that uh, social media piece out. You know, this is this is metal warfare, baby. I mean, that's how it goes down. And and right now, I think, um, I think there are a lot of things that she'll have a good race. And she knows she's got one of the best fights, good enough to win a championship. So uh, she seemed to be able to rebound before, but you just, you know, in this class, especially with Gladstone, I don't know what problems he had. And, uh, you know, she's got she's to work it out, but it's it's all in your head. And uh, let me ask you guys a question since we were talking about throwing races. Who owns Scotty Polachek fight? <laughs> uh, I think a guy named Matt Smith. I'm pretty sure. I think okay. I saw an MSR sticker on there. I just wanted to make sure because – I'll tell you if this fool, whoever wrote in and said that Dallas Glenn red lit, um, he should have he picked the wrong guy. And, and here's here's the problem that I have with the guy. I like Matt Smith, okay? Yeah. But his sponsors, those sponsors that he reels off over and over and over again, that's great. You know, they they want to hear their name. Uh, me personally, I I'd mix it up a little bit. But dude, you cannot make a mockery out of this sport for crying out loud and. He continues to do that. I wonder if if NHRA, if Keck goes over there, because it's a bad look, guys. Um, every time now, there's no rule against uh, shaking the tires, but there is a rule against throwing a race. Now, the burden of proof is, is always on NHRA. That's a tough thing to prove. I get it. We've had this discussion. We've had this argument over and over. We just, we didn't we have it last year? Yep. So it's, it's going to rear its head once again, but I'm telling you, it, it ties the hands of this sports in so many ways that you can't believe. And, and I get it. I've had this conversation even more recently with Tony Stewart. I get it. I understand it, guys. But there's a, there's a, a better way of doing it. Don't make a mockery of it. Don't send your guy up there. You know, uh, give him, Pretend he's throwing up in the pits or something a little more dramatic. But to go out there... And and to you know to to leave late, I, hey, that that I think um, I think they ought to be ashamed of themselves, and um, I, I think that uh, I, I just hope it doesn't come down to that because you know, hey, Matt has the luxury, and he's worked hard for it. He's had the luxury of of being able to field you know a couple of bikes. Yeah, uh, there's a few other teams that that have that same luxury, but I, I just don't see it playing out like that. So. Um, you know, just to go back to Angel, hey, she has an opportunity to prove everybody wrong, and and she's got she's got a machine to do it. I, I'm just interested to see if, if Gladstone can come out to Reading and, and fix this problem because it, it just seemed like um, 
it seemed like there were problems with his bike and the performance. Yeah, Kevin, pick it up there because I was going to come to you with that with that exact same uh, with that exact same setup. Yeah, that, that was a little surprising to see them struggle, um, but they did not seem to be overly worried. Uh, in fact, I think by Monday, uh, it turned out not to be the case, but Joey felt like they had identified the problem, had fixed it, felt like going forward uh, th- that they would be fine. So, uh, you know, and, and that bike tends to uh, run better in, in, the, uh, in, in the events with good air, which we certainly expect at Reading. So I... I'd be shocked if they weren't top three or four uh, in qualifying. But but to, to touch on a couple other points, uh, particularly the, the, the diving thing, you know, it, it's pretty well known that NHRA is on the verge, or at least uh, talking to a couple of major sports betting properties. And it's very likely in the near future will be added. So obviously the whole thing of throwing rounds and diving needs to be addressed before that happens. Uh, it would be a major stumbling block. I, I think that's kind of what Tony alluded to yeah. when he said when he said it affects the sport in so many ways. Uh, th- this is potentially a very big deal for for drag racing, and y- you need to fix it before we move forward. Uh, and then finally, the Angel thing. Obviously, we've beat it to death. Uh, we know that it is a hundred percent in 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 her head yeah and the, uh, the problem like, is and you're right that we have beat it to death but the horse keeps coming back to life that's the problem <laughs> yeah no 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 you, you you're right it, it's like this um the guy a few years ago the major league baseball the catcher who could do everything great but couldn't throw the ball back to the pitcher yeah right he had he had a phobia in his head and and i don't know what you do whether it's sports psychology whether you just i, I don't know what you do to overcome that to just go up there and do what you've done naturally for the last 25 years. To, to, you know, mentally you have to treat every run like a qualifying run, not worry about that. And uh, yeah, she's sh- shown the inability to do that. Uh, you know, I, I, I wish I had an answer for her, but somehow, some way she's got to find it and she's got to find it by this weekend. And look, we've seen her at her best. And, and to me, it's like she is at her best when there's a little bit of chaos happening. You know, we I I think one of the the great wins of her career came during 2020 when we went back to Indy and I forget which one one of the four races it was there, but I remember she's in the final. I think she was racing as Chris Bostick or something like that. The bike was having some issues right up at the last second. Eddie and Andrew jump in and it's like, "Oh man, what's this going to do to her?" and she was 001. And it's almost like it's almost like when she goes to the starting line with a an opponent like Ron Tor- and I'm not just disrespecting Ron Torno, but he was number 16. She was number one. You know, it's almost like yeah. when when you go to the starting line with that type of differential is where almost where she struggles in the whole like don't screw this up idea, as opposed to in a chaotic situation, you can kind of you can kind of not get lost in your own thoughts. But it is it is something that she's going to have to contend with, and and it's going to be interesting, uh, you know, for us to watch. The last thing I want to touch on in Pro Stock Motorcycle is Steve Johnson, because if we're, if, we're, if we're giving everybody psychological exams, we might as well go to Steve, <laughs> Steve Johnson. Um, I'm going to be here a while. Well, yeah, <laughs> yeah right. <laughs> but look, I, I personally think that Steve Johnson coming into the countdown third is in a far better spot than he was last year. I think we watched we watched him in a very public way. We watched him really kind of come apart. I mean, and, and it the Charlotte race was a very bad one for him when he hit the blocks down there. And then of course the crossing the center line, uh, in Pomona, but I'm going to start with you, Kevin. Do you think Steve Johnson is, is likely in a better spot to try to come from behind as he was to try to be the leader of the class? Uh, in, in a word, no, uh, I, I, I look at that bike 
the first three or four races this year and what it's done since, which is relatively little. And, and, and some races, it, it seems like it's a tenth off the pace. Yeah. And, and, I, and I know you talk to most teams that the, the Suzuki combination, for all the good things it does, the four valve, it makes a ton of power, but it is very fickle as far as tuning. Uh, and, and I think that's a little bit of what, uh, you know, bit Joey Gladstone at, at Indy. Um, it, obviously, the Bainton Hines team has struggled a bit. I think that's why Matt Smith is not full-time on a Suzuki. I think Matt has the ability to make it run consistently at the front, but uh, he, he's just more comfortable with, with the Buell right now. Uh, and then when you look at Steve Johnson with his limited size crew, his limited budget, I think th- those problems tend to become a little worse for him. And t- to me, when I looked at the points the other day, I was almost shocked to see that he held on to third. Uh, I-, I really thought. <laughs> well, yeah, because there is. I mean, there was a point to your to your point. There was a set, a part of this year where it was like the guy was in a free fall, but he had he had such a cushion ahead of him, he didn't have to. He didn't fall that far. Right now, now if you you want to look for a little bit of a silver lining, you know, all the tuning issues I just described tend to be. Uh, a little less to deal with at the fast tracks, the good weather tracks. And we have obviously a few of those coming up here in the countdown. So uh, that, that may breathe new life into a guy like Steve Johnson and, uh, you know, probably help Joey Gladstone's program as well. And I think you could make the same argument for Karen Stouffer and Jerry Savoie because they've been a touch inconsistent this year, you know, really fast at times. And other times you think, what are you guys doing? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, all of that, if we have really good weather this week in Reading, and I, I think we're going to, I haven't really checked lately, um, they, they kind of bodes well for having a very competitive race. Tony, what say you? I'm not going to look at the weather, I can tell you that. <laughs> good. If, if we have any weather, it's going to be cool, but um, I agree. I mean, it's it, that's the, that's the you know, $100,000 question for Steve Johnson is, you know, does he have the depth? Uh, I'm not so concerned with I'm, I'm going to go back to timing. Uh, you know, he had a good race at Indy. Uh, he was pretty solid on the starting line. Uh, his bike ran good. I mean, he, he won, he ran good enough to win. Uh, but can you compete financially with Matt Smith and his bikes and Vance and Hines and, and even, uh, even Gladstone? I mean, with Corey Reed behind it, you know, there's, I don't think there's a shortage of parts. And I think Steve has the performance. Um, but, you know, when you get on these good tracks, uh, you know, really, to, to Kevin's point, you put a lot of you put more stress on the parts to run quick. There's no there's no secret there. But I think uh, based on how he performed at Indy going into the countdown, um, and he's not carrying that pressure that he had last year. You know, and and we saw how that worked out for him. But but he has experience. I, I think last year did a lot for him. I think this year he can look back and say, look, I had a bike. I was number one going into it. How do I fix that? How do I address that? I have to pace myself better. Maybe it's parts. Maybe maybe he's got another another engine that's a little better prepared. Maybe he brings some help in, uh, some better help to. Or I shouldn't say better help. Maybe more. Help. Yeah, just to deepen a little little bench strength. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's what you have to have to compete. You know, to some degree. You know, when they say the cream rises to the top, well, in that cream are good parts and pieces and people that make it all work. And then the driver, the rider, has to ride. So. It, it just takes a lot to, you know, to come out on top, especially when you consider the competition in, in bright. 
Well, gentlemen, thank you as always for your time. Always great to get your insight as, uh, you know, this really does set up an incredibly interesting part of the season. And I think it, um, if, if the U.S. Nationals did anything, it certainly, to me, just set the tone for what should be a pretty wide open look. I mean, it's been, to me, a few years uh, for us to look up and down really all four of these professional categories and not be able to really just stick your finger on somebody and, you know, pin the tail on the donkey at this point of the year. So I'm pretty sure all four all four categories are wide open, and obviously that door starts to close a little bit once we get through Maple Grove. But uh, appreciate you, boys. Thanks for coming on. Well, one last thing. Happy to do it. I think we're all in for a treat. Uh, I think it's great that Kenny Koreski and his boys have taken over Maple Grove. Oh, yeah. I think not just the racers. I think the racers are in for a treat. I think that um, I think the weather gods are going to shine on Kenny for his investment. But I think I think everyone's going to be amazed at what Kenny has done to that facility. Uh, it's it's been long needed. I've seen some pictures of it. I can't wait myself. I'm, I'm yeah, me too. Early on Thursday. I'm going to go straight to the track. But I think that. I think the people have always shown up for that race, and I think they've supported it. and And I think uh, I think they've finally been given a facility that is the caliber of the Bruton Smiths, you know, the Baders, the Bandemers, and you know, when you look at Gainesville, some of our better tracks. I think I think we can now add to that list, not just in popularity, but in the facility itself. Yeah, they have so put. Thanks, Koretsky. Yeah, a lot of blood, sweat, and tears in there for the Koretsky family, and it's going to be uh, and, 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 I, I, and, and I hope that. You know, I think we can all agree that the vibe at Indy was fantastic. That it felt like the U.S. National yes, again did. after three years. Uh, I hope that that moves to Reading, where because that that event in its prime, when the weather is good and the pits are full, is that there's a vibe there unlike almost any other. Uh, so I'm not going, unfortunately. Wish I was, but. Um, Hopefully, uh, you guys have that sort of an experience as well. We will. We'll give Tony Stewart his first ever uh, Reading experience, although I'm sure you know Tony's raced a gazillion dirt tracks through Pennsylvania over the course of his career, but uh, I think he's going to dig it. All right, fellas, thanks so much. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. All right, so the second guest in this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, none other than our Virginia NHRA Pro Modified Series winner, Tyler Miller. How you doing, man? I'm good, man. You? I'm doing real good. And, you know, I think one of the things I think is real interesting that a lot of our fans may not know about you is how you started. And you started as a kid. Uh, you did not start out as a kid in a junior dragster, though. What is the first thing you drove at a drag strip, and how old were you? I was about seven or eight years old. I want to say the first time I actually drove anything down a racetrack, it was actually a, uh, a 1997 Z71 with a little nitro system on it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, of course, we... We got together a little bit later on and and built a uh, Mustang together with a little 355 in it with a fire glide. And then I started racing um, some little heads-up series, some kind of match races and stuff like that at a little track called 710 in North Carolina. And yeah, 710 Dragway is a, a really cool little place. Let's call it rustic, right? It's a small racetrack and, and the kind of place where a kid like you could could cut your teeth. Um, I want you to share another story, which I think is fantastic from your youth, which is the Orska wheel stand story. Can you can you give us the background on that and especially your age and, and kind of what happened? Uh, so I'm a little limited on what I'm probably allowed to say about that situation. <laughs> but um so yeah, um I was I was I was pretty young. Um we went into that deal, um it was a 92 Z28 Camaro. Um, I want to say at the time we had a, uh, a 632 fault motor in it, a um, little nitrous motor. And um, it was a 33105 limited, no wheelie bars. Um, cars still have power windows. 
um, the, the windows were tinted extremely dark. Um, <laughs> for a good reason. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was, I was a really small, uh, young kid driving. So, um, I went into that deal. I think it was like a 32 or 64 car field. I can't remember how big it was. A, it was a big field. Uh, we ended up qualifying somewhere, I'd say somewhere close to mid pack. Um, and I ended up having to race, um, I want to say the number one qualifier. I can't remember his okay. name. Um, so, of course, we added a little bit more nitrous to it uh, to try to get it off the start line and try to get a head start on him. I was trying to cut his head off. Um, so uh, we left on it, of course, a little bit too much nitrous, I guess, and um, it hesitated for a second, and then it, it put it up on the back bumper. Um, as soon as it got up on the back bumper, I, of course, I let go of one nitrous system to try to hold it, but um, it, it got out of shape. And um, I didn't have to drop it, and um, it dropped a little hard. So I pulled off to the edge of the track and then pretty much come to a coasting stop. Um, and then, of course, they they went they went out there to check on me and stuff, and 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 I wouldn't I wouldn't let them open the door. Um, <laughs> so uh, for obvious reasons. Um, so of course they 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 pretty much just uh, we we took it back to the trailer. I got out and everything, and the lady came up to me, and you know she was. She was upset, but she was smiling happy at the same time. You know, she was like, she loved what I did, but she said, I'm not telling you you can't race. You just, you can't race here. <laughs> it's a great you know. story, man. It's a great yeah. story. And I feel like I want people to understand that, um, you know, well, well, they may not have, have known you before you won in Virginia. You have like your, your family roots in the sport go real deep. And obviously, you know, since you've been a little kid, you've been out there competing in, in some pretty heavy duty stuff. What yeah. was it, you know, your PDRA success certainly led you to a, to a great place uh, for the Virginia win, but I want to talk a little bit about that transition from, you know, eighth mile PDRA racing, which is incredibly intense and it's very fast and it's very competitive. What was it yeah. like the first time you took uh, a full-blown, you know, 250-mile-an-hour ride in a, in a quarter-mile pro mod? Uh, um, it's definitely a, a whole nif- a, a whole different outlook on um, drag racing for me because, um, you know, the eighth-mile stuff, don't get me wrong, I mean, we run 200-mile-an-hour in the yeah. eighth. Um, with those cars, of course, I was running a blower setup. Um, I started running a blower car when I was about 17 years old. Um, and, uh, that's another story we could probably get into another day, but, um, <laughs> that was pretty funny one. Um, but I started running, uh, it was a single frame rail, um, two chassis car with a, an old 540 cast aluminum block with a little, little field, um, blower on it. Um, I ran it a little bit, you know, just kind of expedition kind of stuff. Yep. And then, um, of course, I got out of it. I had my, my little boy was born, and, and we got out for a little while. And then um, I got a phone call from my dad saying that, hey, look, uh, I got some guys that want to get together and, and build a car together and, and go race a series. Would you be interested? I said, hey, heck yeah, you know, let's do it. Yeah. And um, man, Andy McCoy and Mike Kopchick and, you know, us. Top, level, top level guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, some good dudes, man. Um, And we got together and we built a good car and, we come up with a good motor combination and stuff, and we had some good help, you know, because drag racing, a lot of people don't understand, drag racing is is a big family. Um, of course, you got a lot of people that played in the factor, and I could probably name people for 30 minutes that helped me throughout my life <clears throat> to get where I am, other than the guys I've already named. Um, you know, everybody had a little bit of help with us with that Chevelle. The Chevelle, um, it, it, it caught a lot of people's attention, and, and with it catching a lot of people's attention, it came with a lot of uh, benefits of a lot of different people sure. reaching out to us and giving us a hand with it. <clears throat> but, of course, the main guys were, you know, Mike Kopchick and, and Andy McCoy and those guys. They, they were on us all the time, helping us get this thing go to go to the track. We started running PDRA. 
I would say 2017, when I was about 27, is when we really started getting the combination under control. And uh, we were actually in the running to probably go for the championship that year. And um, I actually got in a bad accident and put me out of the race. But um, I think me and Riverbark were fighting for first. It was either me and Riverbark or me and John Strickland. It was one of the two. It was one yeah, of the Glock cars. One cars, sure. That's right. Them guys was always up there. <laughs> yeah, right. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, that's that's what we got into. Um, and we got in real deep, man. We had a lot of fun with it. Uh, we met a lot of good people, um, of course. And that's that's where drag racing really sunk in for us, you know, when we got out there and, and seen some real heavy competition and, and had a car to compete in that heavy competition. And listen, when you uh, when you won in Virginia, you were racing with Ricky Smith, which you know has to be an amazing experience. You talk about a guy who's who's done everything and won championships by the bucket load and everything else. What was it like to go racing with Ricky? Well, I'll put it to you like this. So with Ricky Smith, um, you know, a lot of people follow John Force, yeah. right? Well, in the world of pro mod, my opinion, and everybody's got one, but my opinion, the John Force of pro mod is Ricky Smith. Sure. That guy's been there since day one. He knows his stuff. He's probably got more data than just about anybody in Vermont. <laughs> That's a fact. Um, the guy, the guy's good, and um, and you know he's got his ways. He likes to do things, and it's it's just from experience. The guy just knows what you got to do to make a car go down the track. Um, he the difference the difference um, the different culture per se in drag racing with Ricky versus most other guys you race with. Um, we've raced with a lot of different kind of, you know, a lot of different people per sure. se in, in, in our lifetime of racing. Um, Ricky Smith takes drag racing serious. It's like if you punched in at the time clock at work and you had a job to get done, that's the way Ricky races. You know, it's fun and games and stuff, but as soon as we punch that clock to go drag racing, it's serious. There's, there's, there's no games. We're there to win. We're there to work. You know, and we want to take trophy home every time we go. There's, there's no, there's no second place with Ricky. Yeah, and I think, and and it's it's an approach that obviously has gotten him where he is today, and and a Hall For of sure. Fame career. And I think that's yeah. interesting because. I, you know, I think people that are champions in this sport, whether it's NHRA, PDRA, whatever class you're in, the fun, quote unquote, is is at the top end after the final round and you have the trophy in your hand. The fun isn't Correct. necessarily the cookout right. or the the beers on Friday night. The fun is winning. Right, right, for sure. Yeah, and you know, you 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 see a lot of different kind of guys out there. I mean, you know, and um, you know, you take you take some some different um groups that race. I mean, and of course, we're all out there having fun. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Just because we're taking it serious, don't mean we're we're not having fun. Um, it's just you know, you you got some out there that they're they're there to have a good time, and and it is what it is. You know what I'm saying? If I win, I win. I would love to win. They dare to win. Don't get me wrong, but um. They're there more or less to have a good time. Um, Ricky Smith, you know, like I said, it's a job for him. You know, he's that that's what he's done for a living. He's one of a few that I know of yeah. that's made a career out of it. Absolutely. Um, so he takes it serious. I mean, I don't know. I can't stress it enough. Um, and for me to go and race with him showed me the other side of drag racing. The, the side of drag racing that I would rather be a part of, you know, the drag racing where I can show up and I can get me some sponsors that can help me get into this thing and um, and go out there and actually compete um, <clears throat> and be there for one and one reason, one reason only. Yeah, and that's to win and win a championship right. along the way. That's, uh, that's 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 what I care about in drag racing. I mean, I like I like, of course, I like everything that comes along with it, but 
my number one goal when I show up is to cut the W on. Yeah, and and I'm I'm guessing he appreciates that about you as well because that's obviously not a guy who's going to let anybody sit in his stuff. That's not a guy who's just going to let you know some wingding get in the car and go down the racetrack. No, no, he he's going to if it's on his mind, he's going to take. Yeah, <laughs> I, I promise you, and and I respect that. Yeah, honestly, I would I would rather know what that man's got to say than him not tell me nothing. Um, because anything that he tells me is going to benefit me. Oh, that's a fact. Yeah, whether it, whether it's an insult or not. Yeah, one you way know, or the other, right? Some, yeah. some, sometimes, sometimes the best lessons learned are the hard ones. Yeah, the, those are the ones you don't forget. That's for sure. That's the ones that matter. So yeah, for sure. So I want to talk a little bit about PD Fleet because okay. uh, obviously a huge part of a huge part of your legacy, your life, your family is is the PD Fleet business, and yes, and PD Fleet will be uh, a big part of the Pro Mod race we have coming up in Charlotte. And you guys, you know, it's a big operation for people who don't know. Uh, PD Fleet located Hartville, South Carolina. You guys are a big like full service repair shop, right? I mean everything from the you know paint and body. We're talking tractor trailer stuff. Tell me about the business and and what you guys are looking to do down in Charlotte. All right. So with the business uh, for us, um, obviously with the times we're in right now, you, you, it's, it's hard to find good good employees. I mean, we've got a bunch of good guys that work for us now that's been with us for years. Matter of fact, the first guy we ever hired um, still works for us, um, and he he don't want to leave. That's um, great. I mean, and that and that it just that speaks for itself. I'm not. I won't go any further on that one. But we we're, we're looking for talented technicians that can show up and go straight to work that's what we need we need some good mechanics i'm talking cat mechanics uh cummins mechanics detroit mechanics you know packard mechanics mac force mechanics, anything from international to peterbilt kenworth to you know whatever um we we work on a little bit of everything here um, we work on trucks we work on trailers we do tires we do hydraulics we do part sales we do paint we do body We'll detail a truck if that's what the customer shows up and wants us to do. We, I mean, we do anything from full rider frames to as small as a wiring problem or a service. Yeah, and and like you said, I mean, it's 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 an interesting thing because even in the sport of drag racing, we hear a lot about how teams are trying to find good help to even work on race cars. So I can only imagine, right. I can only imagine trying to get uh, you know the right qualified guys. And, and listen, these trucks are people's livelihoods. You know, the job's yep. got to get done right. Yeah, yeah, and um, the, the the way and the way we do it here, um, we, like I said, we've got a lot of technicians here. They they make good money. Um. Uh, every technician that we've we've had that, we, that has ever came into us and actually successfully done the job that we asked them to do is still here. Yeah. Um, we we have very little to no people ever leave here. Oh, that's great. Um, the, these guys, um, yeah, we've got we've got the best of the best. Um, my opinion up there again, I've got some of the best employees here that I could ask for. Some some of the smartest ones when it comes to tech and the and the th- and the good thing about this being a family oriented company is if I've got a mechanic struggling, chances are there's another mechanic here or one of us that can help them. Yeah, because you guys have seen so you guys see so much stuff over the years. You know, you're seeing everything right. that could possibly happen, right? Yeah, right, right. So yeah, so uh, the one I would say there's more than one perk of coming to work for us. One of those perks is is you're working for a family. You're not working for a corporation. If you need somebody to talk to at the top, he works here too. Hey, he's probably swinging a wrench next to you. <laughs> he's, yeah, yeah. Right. 
No, it's great, man. And and listen, I think I think it goes hand in hand with your you know your experience on the racetrack and and the business. They they both kind of speak to the the family nature of things. I mean, you know, you went sure. racing with your dad to get to get started with, and and you've invested yeah. a lot of your life into that help build that family business as well. It all goes hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, that's and, that, and I get a lot of backlash out of that stuff because you see a lot of people are like, man, this guy ain't but like thirty years old is out there running, you know, NHRA and stuff, and I'm like, they don't understand. I've been at this thing for twenty some years. Yeah, uh, some of the, some of these guys that's been bracket racing and stuff like that for for thirty years, they look at me like a new guy, but in realistic in real life, I've been at it as many years as most of the guys out there racing today. Yeah, that's an incredible. It's an incredible thing. And you've been, I mean, and you've been working the whole time too. It's not like you've been sitting around. Uh, you know, you've been sitting around getting a tan. You know, when you're not at the racetrack or at the damn shop. <laughs> yeah, that that that's the that, that would be my dream, right? Yeah, I would I would love nothing more to be able to race full time. And you know, obviously, that's something I think you know you've achieved so much already in in your career. Both uh, you know, both and it, basically everywhere you've gone, you've you've had success. And so it's one of those things to me that it seems inevitable. And you also seem like the type of guy who's not going to rush into something that isn't right. Right. Uh, I, I definitely, I definitely want to show all my ducks in a row. And that's the most important thing. We see we see people come in and out of drag racing like a flash. And I know you've seen it a million times over your career where, you know, oh, yeah. some guy rolls in with the best of the best and he's got all the stuff and everything's all polished up and shiny and he's gone like within a year. I mean, that that doesn't seem like your MO. Well, you know, I've, I've seen it. I've seen it more than once. You see these guys, they'll show up with the biggest, nicest rig, the, guy, the nicest, the baddest of the baddest, everything. And you get a guy with an open trailer come up there and open up a can on them. I mean, it's just... It depends on the guy that's got the data. Yeah. Well, you'll be racing with a guy who has the data down there in, in Charlotte. And listen, uh, you know, Ricky's in the thick of this championship chase this year, and uh, you're going to be, I think, a, a, a pretty good a pretty good right-hand man for him down there. And I think if it comes down to it, we'll probably see another, another you know, claw your eyeballs out final round between the two of you. <laughs> yeah, me and uh. Me and me and Ricky, that was a tough one for me. Uh, you know, you you got to look back into my past. I mean, I've I, I've watched drag racing my whole life. You know, most kids raised up watching football, baseball, stuff like that. I didn't do none of that. I I started drag racing. You know, while my friends were playing football and baseball, I was out with my dad drag racing at seventeen. You know, I didn't I didn't keep up with that stuff. You know, so where some kids want to be professional basketball, football, baseball, whatever it is they want to do drag racing's mine um i grew up watching john force i mean that's you know that was my that was my legacy yeah. when i was growing up i wanted to be him i wanted to go race like him i wanted to run top fuel i wanted to run with sponsors i wanted to do it for a living you know i wanted to go out there and race every day all the time that's what i wanted to do i like going fast i don't care about mile an hour you know a lot of people look at the big mile an hour going, i don't care nothing about i want the g's yeah i want to feel it um i love speed um, I've never been anything that is felt too fast to me, um, and I'm always wanting to go faster. So, you know, it's 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 inevitable. Well, man, it's great to catch up with you. It's great to get a little bit of your story, and and our fans, I know, are going to be looking forward to the Pro Mod race down there in Charlotte, and also great to learn about the business and the fact that uh, that PD is going to be down there. You're looking for good people, and you know as well as I do, drag racing fans, uh, a lot of them go to work with their hands every day, and and a good opportunity right. for someone to make a living is uh, is a great thing to present to them. Yep, yep. We'll, we'll have a tent out there um, at the race. Um, obviously, I'm going to have a guy out there with applications ready to go. I mean, anybody that's willing to give us a shot and come out here and try to get some work, this is not this is not a job. This is a career. Um, tell them to come out, you know, give us a look at it, check us out. 
I'll have a tent. If they need to know more information, I'll have a guy right there. Matter of fact, one of my service managers is going to be there. Nice. So if they have any questions, they can ask the service manager himself. Well, Tyler, thanks for taking some time out of your busy day. Look forward to seeing you when we get down to Z-Max Dragway, and uh, I think it's going to be another fun weekend of watching you uh, watching you wheel a pro mod of, uh, among the best in the world, so it's going to be fantastic. Thank you, sir. Man, great to catch up with Tyler Miller, and certainly great to catch up with both Tony Pedragon and Kevin McKenna post-Indy getting ready for this weekend's run to the NHRA Pep Boys Nationals at Maple Grove Raceway. Remember, this is our big NFL weekend. You're going to check your local listings as the broadcast will be on the Fox Network, and it will be either before or after the NFL game in your local area. So you're going to want to check your local listings on that. Uh, so it'll either be early afternoon or it will be later in the afternoon for the broadcast time. We have qualifying shows on Friday and Sunday coming here for this race as well so you'll be able to stay up to date on where everybody in the countdown is qualified when we go into eliminations thanks very much for listening to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast we'll have one more delay next week I'll be off on Hot Rod Magazine Drag Week so I will not be able to make a show after Maple Grove but we'll get you caught up after Charlotte on everything that's gone on over the first couple races of the NHRA Countdown to the Championship it is playoff time in the NHRA Camping World Drag Racing Series thanks so much for listening to this episode I'm Brian Lowe and I'll be back in two weeks with all the big stories, the points, and to find out who's doing what and who's doing it better than everybody else. Thanks.